From Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. Despite the complicity of elites, elected officials, and corporate news organizations, tens of thousands in the U.S. and millions around the world refuse to turn away from the genocidal attack on Palestine by Israel. Netanyahu, you can't hide! Netanyahu, you can't hide! We charge you with genocide! We charge you with genocide! Biden, Biden, you can't hide! Biden, Biden, you can't hide! We charge you with genocide! We charge you with genocide! U.S. Congress, you can't hide! U.S. Congress, you can't hide! We charge you with genocide! We charge you with genocide! And again, it falls to independent journalists to write the factual first draft of history, even as warmongers take this world to the brink of catastrophe. Israel may be the final chapter in this ugly epoch of history known as settler colonialism. All that and more coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. For more than a week, tens of thousands of people have marched in D.C., joined undoubtedly by millions more around the United States and the world, demanding an end to the intensified genocide against the Palestinian people. According to the Palestinian Health Ministry, 3,800 people are confirmed killed in Israel's assault on Gaza and perhaps a thousand more are still trapped under rubble. Another 12,000 have been injured in the continued bombing of residential neighborhoods that are killing entire families, as the besieged territory is largely still cut off from food, water, and fuel. In D.C., several rallies and marches have been organized by the Palestinian Youth Movement and Maryland to Palestine, and 10,000 people filled the streets on October 14th for a rally and march that began and ended at the White House, organized by American Muslims for Palestine. I spoke to that organization's advocacy director, Aya Zayadeh. Hi, I'm out here at the White House with Aya from American Muslims for Palestine. And there's a tremendous crowd out here today. I know people came here because of the attacks on Gaza. So tell me, in your own words, why you organized this and and why people came out today. Yeah, because the the American public is fed up. Uh, For the last week, over 2,000 and counting Palestinians have been murdered by uh, Israeli airstrikes on Gaza. Half of Gaza's population is children, meaning one-third of the current death toll has been children. And yet no condemnation has come out from the White House calling out Israel on its war crimes. Mm -hmm. And so... I, I do know that President Biden, we're right here at the White House, made a statement condemning the attacks by Hamas. And a lot of people think that, you know, that's when the conflict started. But I suppose, you know, your organization has a different, a longer view of the conflict. We don't have a view. We have the facts. This is not a war and this is not a conflict. <laughs> this is a 75-year occupation of the Palestinian people by the Israeli apartheid government. Mm-hmm. This is a 16-year siege on Gaza. I mean, meaning Palestinians in Gaza have been blockaded. No way in and no way out. Very limited access for media to enter, journalists, and humanitarian aid, which is also limited not only by the Israeli government, 
government, but by our very own government over here. This did not start on Saturday. This started over 75 years ago when the Israeli government wiped out 750,000 Palestinians and exiled them from their homes. And the occupation has been stagnant for the last 75 years. Yes. And what are your immediate demands coming out here today? We are demanding an immediate ceasefire of Israeli airstrikes on Gaza. The world human rights organizations have demanded and revoked Israel's commandment of 1.1 million Palestinians in Gaza to move from the northern side of Gaza to the south. The World Health Organization, as well as the UN and other human rights organizations, have deemed this an atrocity. There is no safe way to mobilize 1.1 million people in an already dense area that is completely blockaded by Israel to the south without mass atrocity. We're demanding immediate ceasefire. We're demanding the immediate removal of the blockade and immediate access of humanitarian aid and for the Israeli government to condemn Israel's war crimes. Yes, yes. And what's going to happen next as far as organizing if people want to come out? The American public is going to keep fighting. We're going to keep rallying. We're going to keep reaching out to our members of Congress, all of our elected officials from the federal, state, and local level, and as well as the administration. They will be bombarded with emails and, and emails and calls from their constituents telling them, you do not represent us in this moment. Our elected officials are not representing us right now. Right. We do not stand by the Israeli apartheid government and its war crimes and the war crimes that it continues to commit on the Palestinian people. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, Aya. Thank you. On Wednesday, October 18th, hundreds of people wearing black T-shirts that read Jews say ceasefire on the back and not in my name on the front were arrested at the U.S. Capitol at protests organized by Jewish Voice for Peace and If Not Now calling for an immediate ceasefire and an end to the genocide in Gaza. Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib of Michigan, the only Palestinian member of Congress, spoke at the protest. To my president, to our president, I want him to know, as a Palestinian American, is also somebody of Muslim faith, I'm not going to forget this. And I think a lot of people are not going to forget this. And it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not a threat. It isn't. They, they think we're joking. I mean, I think the White House and everyone thinks that we're just going to sit back and let this just continue to happen. No. The fact of the matter is, our lives are not safe with you or the Robert Peach president. When are we going to feel safe? When are we going to stop funding continued, literally, oppression of indigenous communities? When are we going to say enough? The arrest at the Capitol and Tlaib's speech came one day after Palestinians say Israel bombed the Al-Ali hospital complex in Gaza City, killing hundreds of people. And folks were arrested the same day that 
President Biden visited Israel, embraced Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, and repeated Israel's claim that Palestinians bombed themselves at the hospital. On Thursday night, October 19th, he gave a national address indicating that he will make a request for a reported $100 billion in military aid for Israel, Ukraine, and Taiwan. In his comments in Israel and at the White House, Biden did not mention the deadly strike on the same day as the hospital bombing at a U.N. school located in the Al-Mughazi refugee camp that shelters some 4,000 displaced people as well as a bombing at two densely populated refugee camps. As he offered no proof for his assertion about the hospital massacre, independent journalists revealed that Israel had just recently hit that same hospital and had issued several warnings to the hospital to evacuate, even though it was impossible for the hospital to do so. There were also investigations into video that Israel offered as proof that it did not bomb the hospital. One analysis was by Electronic Intifada, which compared the hospital strike to other strikes by Israel using U.S.-supplied missiles. The gray zone showed that video posted by Israel as proof was shot more than 30 minutes later than when the actual explosion occurred. Another social media video posted by independent Israeli media was actually from last year, sometime during 2022. And of course, several independent outlets noted that Israel first issued a statement claiming credit for the bombing and then later denied it. Finally, in culture and media, one more story that debunks the narrative about the initial October 7th attack by Hamas is an interview given to an official Israeli state broadcaster by Yasmin Porat, an Israeli woman taken hostage by Hamas on October 7th at a kibbutz near the Gaza border. According to a translation by Electronic Intifada, Porot told the network for an October 15th broadcast that hostages were treated humanely by Hamas and that Israeli citizens were undoubtedly killed by their own security forces after the forces arrived and began engaging in heavy crossfire with Hamas. She said, quote, they eliminated everyone, including the hostages. When they tried to eliminate Hamas, they eliminated everyone, end quote, she said. Colombia's President Gustavo Petro is demanding that Israel's ambassador leave the South American country and compared Israeli attacks on Gaza with the Nazi persecution of the Jews. A member of the Israeli Knesset was just suspended for making the same statement, which, by the way, was also echoed here on the National Mall this week. On social media, a video from Breakthrough News is going viral of Palestinian protesters being ejected from a Philadelphia city council meeting on Thursday night after the council voted to condemn Hamas for its attacks, but not condemn Israel for the genocide in Gaza. The meeting erupted in chaos as only Palestinian protesters, mostly women, were forcibly removed by police officers. This clip begins with brief remarks by Palestinian activist Susan Abu Hawa.
that audio wasn't the clearest. That was the author and activist Susan Abuhawa speaking at a Philadelphia City Council meeting on Thursday night saying that her mother and her grandmother died waiting to go back to their home in Jerusalem that they had been expelled from during the Nakba and that there were European Jews who emigrated to Israel who were living in their home and they died not being able to go back to their home. So sometime after she spoke, the the meeting erupted in chaos when Palestinian activists were expelled from the meeting by the police. And you can hear a little bit of what happened. Why are you kicking me out? Why are you kicking out all the Palestinians and the Stop touching people! Let them go! 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 Again, we just heard some of the sounds from a meeting on Thursday, October 19th of the Philadelphia City Council when they adopted a resolution condemning Hamas for their attack but did not condemn the genocide in Gaza. And last, among the many ongoing actions called to protest the genocide in Gaza is a national march on Washington for November 4th at 2 p.m. to free Palestine, to end U.S. aid to Israel, and to lift the siege on Gaza now. It's sponsored by a coalition of organizations including the Answer Coalition, Code Pink, and the Palestinian Youth Movement. More information is at answercoalition.org. Also on that site is a petition drive to support students at Harvard University and elsewhere who have been targeted and harassed by right-wing operatives, with some students even receiving death threats for supporting the Palestinian freedom movement. Again, that petition is at answercoalition.org. And the music video for Terrorist by Low Key was deleted by YouTube after 5.5 million views from the Global Faction channel. But here on On the Ground, we will keep playing that track, Terrorist, as a true piece of revolutionary art. And those are headlines and happenings. Stay with us. So, we must ask ourselves, 
What is the dictionary definition of terrorism? The systematic use of terror, especially as a means of coercion. But what is terror? According to the dictionary I hold in my hand, terror is violent or destructive acts such as bombing committed by groups in order to intimidate a population or government into granting their demands. So what's a terrorist? They're calling me a terrorist Like they don't know who the terrorist When they put it on me I tell them this I'm all about peace and love They're calling me a terrorist Like they don't know who the terrorist Insulting my intelligence Like the ragheads and packies are worrying your dad But your dad's favourite food is curry and kebab It's funny but it's sad How they make your mummy hurry with her bags Rather read the sun and study all the facts Tell me, what's the bigger threat to human society? BAE systems or homemade IEDs Remote control drones Killing off human lives Or man with homemade bomb committing suicide I know you were terrified When you saw the towers fall It's all terror but some forms are more powerful It seems nuts How could there be such Agony when more Israelis die from peanut allergies It's like the definition didn't ever exist I guess it's all just dependent who your nemesis is Irrelevant how eloquent the rhetoric peddler is They're telling fibs now, tell us who the terrorist is They're calling me a terrorist Like they don't know who the terrorist When they put it on me I tell them this I'm all about peace and love They're calling me a terrorist Like they don't know who the terrorist Insulting my intelligence Oh, how these people judge Lumumba was democracy Mossadegh was democracy Allende was democracy Hypocrisy, it bothers me Call you terrorists if you don't want to be a colony Refuse to bow down to a policy of robbery Is terrorism my lyrics? When more Vietnam vets killed themselves after the war Than died in it, this is very basic One nation in the world has over a thousand military bases They say it's religion when clearly it isn't It's not just Muslims that oppose your imperialism It's Hugo Chavez a Muslim Nah, I didn't think so It's Castro a Muslim Nah, I didn't think so It's like the definition didn't ever exist I guess it's all just dependent who your nemesis is Irrelevant how eloquent the rhetoric peddler is They're telling fibs now Tell us who the terrorist is They're calling me a terrorist Like they don't know who the terrorist when they put it on me, I tell them this I'm all about peace and love They're calling me a terrorist Like they don't know who the terrorist Insulting my intelligence Oh, how these people judge Phosphorus that burns hands, that is terrorism Earth and Stern gang, that was terrorism What they did in Hiroshima was terrorism What they did in Fallujah was terrorism Mandela ANC, that was terrorism Jerry Adams IRA, that was terrorism Every Prince Black Water was terrorism Oklahoma McVeigh, that was terrorism Everyday USA, that is terrorism Everyday UK, that is terrorism Everyday, 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 everyday.
This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. And for more international and national news, I'm joined by our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn, the Morris Professor of History and African-American Studies at the University of Houston. Welcome back to the show, Gerald. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I have to say that things here in D.C. are getting worse and worse, much worse than when we spoke last week. We had a horrific attack on the Al-Ahi Hospital in Gaza this week. Uh, The Israeli military denies that they were responsible for this attack that killed uh, around 500 people, just mass carnage at this hospital. And independent journalists have documented that though Israel denies making this strike, they had already hit the same hospital just days before. And in addition, they claim that they hit the hospital, then they said they didn't. And there have been other kinds of video documentation since then where people have gone back and disproven, I would say, Israel's claims. The ongoing onslaught, you know, constant uh, murder of uh, people in Gaza, massive demonstrations here in Washington, D.C., numerous and massive demonstrations, and also, of course, a strike apparently on on Hezbollah by Israel. And of course, I think, as you mentioned last week, this flotilla of U.S. warships going near Israel, near Gaza at the same time. And so there's a lot to unpack, but give me your top line thoughts in terms of where things stand uh, since we last spoke. Well, certainly the trip to the region by Mr. Biden was a fiasco, given the fact that the Arab leaders refused to meet with him because, as he suggested in his presser with Mr. Netanyahu, there's a lot of sentiment in the Arab world that the United States is complicit in this slow-motion genocide that's unfolding in Gaza as we speak, and, of course, uh, helping to supply Israel with fighter jets and explosives and bombs, etc., with this typical ham-fisted approach, apparently, accidentally, Mr. Biden, while he was in Israel for seven hours, revealed that there are U.S. special forces on the ground in Israel, believe it or Mm. not. That was a revelation that he did not intend to expose. And then we have received these reports about the clashes between U.S. forces supposedly missiles launched from Yemen directed towards Israel that U.S. forces helped to blunt, apparently attacks on U.S. forces in the neighborhood of Iraq, if I'm not mistaken. So step by step, uh, we're moving towards a wider conflict. And in this wider conflict, it seems to me, that Israel will be severely disadvantaged. What I mean is, supposedly, they're gearing up for an invasion of Gaza, but these weekend warriors who comprise the bulk of the Israeli forces, uh, not unlike the U.S. National Guard, people being dragged away from stacking store market shelves and sitting in office cubicles now on the front lines, 
they're not necessarily ready for sniper attacks in Gaza, minefields, booby traps, drones dropping explosives like happened on October 7th, uh, not to mention suicide attackers. And so there is a contradiction that is emerging with regard to this so-called Israeli offensive. Uh, That is to say that you have a bully, Israel, that is casualty averse. And those two factors uh, mix like oil and water. They're putting uh, Israel in a corner. And then you have these stark warnings from Iranian forces that they will not sit idly by as people in Gaza are massacred. Uh, The Israelis have driven the Iranians and the Saudis closer together. Uh, That is to say that the foreign ministers have conferred in the last 24 to 48 hours, which would have been unimaginable before this entente brokered by China between the two antagonists some months ago. And speaking of fiascos, uh, Mr. Biden was preceded by his secretary of state, Mr. Blinken, who was lectured sternly in Cairo by General al-Sisi, who was forced to wait all night to meet with MBS, the de facto leader of Saudi Arabia, uh, cooling his heels as MBS was directly insulting him. And so we have a crisis that seems to be spinning out of control. Uh, Mr. Biden supposedly is going to be asking Congress for more money uh, for not only the Israelis, but the Ukrainians. But I hope he's paying attention to the high borrowing costs uh, with regard to the U.S. government uh, borrowing. Uh, The days of 0% interest rates are long gone. And I should also mention that uh, the Zionist forces in the United States may have overplayed their hand. What I mean by that is, is that it's obvious that they've carried a lot of water for North Atlantic imperialism, demonizing Jeremy Corbyn, the Labor Party leader in London, driving him out of office, demonizing Jesse Jackson as a bigot during his presidential race some decades ago, even having the arrogance and the audacity to seek to demonize fellow members of the U.S. ruling elite who are not necessarily on board with their narrow position. I'm speaking of how they treated or maltreated James A. Baker III, the former Secretary of State under the first President Bush, who tried to resolve this crisis and for his troubles has been branded a bigot and an anti-Semite, which of course is part of their ideological arsenal. I'm thinking of how they helped to destabilize the former Soviet Union with this fraudulent campaign with regard to Soviet Jewry, portraying the Soviet Union as the inheritor of the Nazi legacy, which is a ludicrous obscenity. And then that helps to drive 1.5 million Jewish people from uh, that country uh, into Israel, uh, which bulwarks the Israeli Jewish population as they pursue this policy of Jewish supremacy. Although, of course, many of these people are now scrambling to get back to Russia and Moscow. Uh, Speaking of the latter, uh, all this is taking place as once again, President Putin is conferring with his self-proclaimed best friend, President Xi Jinping in China. Uh, Russia put forward a resolution at the United Nations 
which would have gone a long way to helping to resolve this question. But of course, the United States vetoed this resolution, uh, which is very disappointing. Likewise, the Security Council has been paralyzed because in light of the bombing of the hospital, one would expect an investigation authorized by the Security Council, but obviously that's a non-starter, given that any reasonable terms of reference would be vetoed by the United States and their comical sidekicks on the Security Council, speaking of London and Paris. Uh, Speaking of the latter, uh, President Macron is doing his usual song and dance. That is to say, ostensibly signaling dissent, but not any action attached to that dissent as he tries to cater and pander to conflicting trends and constituencies in his country. And I'm happy to see Needless to say, the demonstrations in Washington, uh, the demonstrations at the Capitol, but there also needs to be some self-analysis and self-criticism. For example, it's part of the opposition arsenal nowadays, thankfully, to speak of Israeli settler colonialism, but I'll be happy when we speak of North American settler colonialism. Uh, That would go a long way to helping to understand this present crisis we now find ourselves in. And guess what, Esther? Uh, You are a so-called identitarian, unquote, quote, unquote, according to some of our friends on the left, because you have an interest in Black people. Now, what's curious about that insulting descriptor is that the same people who apply that nebulous phrase, they don't apply it to a state based upon a narrow ethno-religious identity, a political formation based upon an identity. There, no, 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 no. Israel is not identitarian. You are identitarian. Until we sort out some of these nettlesome problems, I think we'll always be on the verge of crisis. Wow. Well, I didn't know that I was uh, being branded so, but, you know, what's, what's the latest, right? So, I wanted to pick up on something you said in terms of people just not recognizing where this all started, you know, how this all began, because I've heard some people rightfully, and I've been gratified to hear them say, you know, this did not start on October 7th, but for so much of the corporate media, so much of the spin by the corporate politicians in this country and in Europe, there are these placards, the Israeli Hamas war, you know, first of all, it's not a war. It's an attack on the guys, the Palestinian people. But beyond that, there is no mention of the recent history, at least a Palestinian a day killed in the past year. The ongoing attacks, not only against Gaza, but on the West Bank, not only by Israeli forces, but also by these fanatical settlers, murderous settlers who are allowed to attack uh, Palestinians kill them, try to take over their homes, destroy their olive gardens, you know, destroy their their property, destroy their villages. And this is what I want to ask you about, because in addition to this wider war outside that the U.S. seems to be ramping up for in terms of outside of Israel, I heard very good analysis about kind of pulling together some of the things that we've talked about for the past year. So this is called the Al-Aqsa flood. And 
very few reports have mentioned that right before on the Thursday before this October 7th attack, there was another one of these uh, massive attacks on the Al-Aqsa Mosque. These Jews entering the mosque, taking over the mosque, attacking people in the mosque. And this happened right before this uh, operation called the Al-Aqsa Flood. And if we really think about the most recent history of the, of these of what's happening in Israel and Palestine, the last big attack on Gaza occurred after the uprisings in May of 2021 when they began these massive attacks on Al-Aqsa and attacking people as they prayed during Ramadan. And that set off the last wave of massive uprisings among Palestinians. And so I just thought it was really interesting because uh, that aspect is not being put forward. And I wanted to know kind of what you thought about that. Also, what's happening inside Israel, because you've had these massive demonstrations between the far right religious kind of fanatics inside Israel and what are considered to be more liberal elements that are fighting against the Supreme Court being just denuded of all its power so that the theocracy there can just have its way in the West Bank and in Gaza, and even to the point of destroying the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is their goal so that they can rebuild their their temple, you know, as, according to prophecy or whatever, which these um, fanatical Christians, the Christian fundamentalists here are hoping for. And, and that's why they support Zionist Israel. I guess there's a lot there. But anyway, maybe you can pick out some parts that you want to respond to. Well, with regard to the Zionists in the United States overplaying their hand, reference to what I just said about their demonizing of James A. Baker III. And I think that in the short term, there is going to be unfolding what we already see. That is to say, persecution, harassment of progressive forces who are hostile to this slow motion genocide. You see that in terms of the doxing of students at Harvard, the attack on the president of the University of Pennsylvania for having the audacity to allow a Palestinian literary festival to unfold on her campus. You see it in terms of harassment of certain members of Congress. But I think in the long term, there's going to have to be a reckoning between various sectors of the U.S. ruling class because it's clear that this crisis is jeopardizing overall U.S. imperial interests, particularly vis-a-vis what we are repeatedly told is the ball game, that is to say the confrontation with China, of which the confrontation with Russia is just a stage towards that larger confrontation. And here, let me refresh the recollection of the audience. I recall uh, some years ago when there was a typical crisis of the capitalist economy in the United States. And I had thought that then that a sector of the ruling class was going to try to resolve that crisis by tossing overboard certain Jewish American billionaires and affluent elements like Michael Milken, the former junk bond king, still with us. He was imprisoned, of course. He resides in Southern California. I'm thinking of Ivan Boski, Dennis Levine, all of these scandals about insider trading. Now, 
that supposition may not have played out, but I don't think that we should rule out this reckoning, particularly when the recriminations start as the United States, a la Iraq and Afghanistan, is about to get ensnared in another quagmire. And as well, it seems to me that with regard to these so-called Christian evangelicals and white Christian nationalists or whatever term that you want to use, uh, let me also include in that unfortunate litany uh, some of our so-called black Christian friends, which I'm baffled and befuddled by some of their support for the Zionist Project because the Zionist Project is currently constituted, harasses many Christians in what the Christians call the Holy Land, and not only Palestinian Christians, not only Arab Christians. And one would think that it would be in the self-interest of these Christian forces to defend other Christians. But I guess, uh, once again, uh, we cannot depend upon their being rational. Well, not only Christians in Israel, but the position of Zionism toward black freedom struggles, you know, here or be it in South Africa, apartheid South Africa, which Israel supported. So, yeah, that's, um, but I guess we don't have to keep scratching our head about that. I mean, you know, after that debacle at the, the anniversary of the March on Washington this year, Anything's possible. I mean, it's just, and there was another big march for voting rights. I think I, I told you and I showed you that some of the supporters were like the young Zionists of America or something. So there are some strange bedfellows there. Just as we're seeing right now with corporate media, if we really want the real information about what's happening, that is just not the place to go, right? But Pacifica is one of the few places where people can turn to to get to hit not only hear alternative voices but hear to hear the truth and that prospect you know for me as a lifelong journalist that's really scary really to really think about how people cannot rely on what they see on most television networks what they can read in most corporate newspapers they can't rely on that to give them honest perspective and analysis with some history and context about this conflagration that is rapidly approaching like World War III levels of threat. And that's not hyperbole. I mean, we we saw the same thing in Ukraine in terms of waging a, a hybrid proxy war against another nuclear country. And now, now something worse in the in the Middle East. So I don't I want to give you just your thoughts on this this idea of of because I think we've talked before about Israel being the when we talked about settler colonialism we talked about you know Israel being this almost like not final outpost because there's the United States but this this volatile outpost of settler colonialism and rather than rein in these forces in Israel and, you know, pull them back from the brink. They are, as you talked about last week, looking for a wider conflict. Uh, heard the economist, what Michael Hudson, uh, relate his experiences with Israeli forces back, I guess, when he worked in the administrations in, in decades past and how, um, in reflecting on that, 
You know, he thinks that this administration is actually trying to go back into Syria and use this opportunity to continue to attack Syria and to do what they failed to do a decade ago in terms of deposing Assad or use it as an excuse to to try to go after Iran, even though that is just totally like another suicide mission. So I just wanted to get your thought, more thoughts on this idea of making the conflict wider. And it's just this latest stage of propping up violent settler colonial state. Well, with regard to the former point, it seems that we're going to have to watch out for so-called false flag operations. We've already heard reports about alleged attacks on U.S. forces, which then will give Washington an excuse to unleash those special forces that are on the ground already in the state of Israel, as we mentioned a moment or two ago. In that regard, recall what we may have mentioned last week, I don't recall, the June 67 war where during broad daylight, Israeli jets attacked the U.S. ship, the USS Liberty, for reasons that remain murky. But the president is there in terms of uh, Israeli jets attacking U.S. forces, and perhaps the difference in 2023-2024 will be to draw the United States deeper uh, into this conflict. And with regard to the other point, uh, we're suffering ideologically because we do not problematize settler colonialism. Some may do so with regard to Israel. They don't do so with regard to North America. And they don't do so globally. For example, in the past week, you saw the vote in Australia where the descendants of settlers and settlers rejected a referendum that would have empowered further the indigenous who complained that they had been on that continent 60,000 years and those who had been there for a mere two centuries are now seeking to determine the outcome of that island nation. During that same period across the Tasman in New Zealand, you saw an ultra-right-wing party surge to power because they're upset with the growing strength of the indigenous population, speaking of the Maoris. And by the way, one of the reasons why you still have a substantial Maori population in New Zealand is that when you had the invasion of these Europeans in the mid-19th centuries, they discovered that the Maoris are very good fighters, particularly in trench warfare. And that helps to explain uh, why there are more of them proportionately still around, as opposed to the indigenous of Australia. And Israel may be the final chapter in this ugly epoch of history known as settler colonialism, the ugliness that you now see unfolding in Gaza uh, is magnified by several orders of magnitude when you consider the ugliness of the implanting of settler colonialism in North America, for example, which involved liquidation of entire ethnic groups, or as they say here, tribes. So this is part of the scenario we're now facing on the verge possibly of World War III, which is why I'm happy to be arriving in Washington in the next few days and coming to Montgomery College on Friday, October 27th for this book launch and to break bread and converse with many friends, many comrades. And I hope to see a goodly number of the Pacifica audience there. 
Absolutely. We're really looking forward to that event. That's going to also include young people who are activists in our area, setting up tables and just giving out information to the public about the social justice work that they are doing. And so as I wind up, uh, Gerald, uh, I want to just kind of go back to this issue of history. And I'm trying to remember if it was a professor or someone called journalism, history in a hurry. (laughs) And so when you really think about what Pacifica is able to do, what, you know, other independent journalists are able to do, we're trying to create a true historical record of what is happening right now and convey that. And, you know, when I really, when I think about how the U.S. proxy war against Russia in Ukraine was so much of a psyop and still there's so many people who don't really understand or never never were given the wider context about that conflict in terms of the U.S. and NATO going right up to Russia's border and really fomenting and what's the word that they keep using? Provoking, (laughs) fomenting and provoking that conflict. Similarly, here in the conflict in Palestine, none of the backstory about the Nakba, about 700,000 Palestinians ethnically cleansed or murdered, you know, this diaspora of millions of Palestinians in the diaspora, in places, in other places, because they were displaced. How so many of these people in Gaza are people who were displaced when they were ethnically cleansed from their villages, from the more than 500 villages destroyed by Zionist militia going in and basically uh, clearing the space to create the state of Israel. And then their descendants even if they weren't the original people moved in 48, they're descendants. They are descendants of people who were moved in 1948. So, and then the last thing, just in terms of the record, is that some people have pointed out how Netanyahu in his recent speech before the UN General Assembly held up a map of what he called Israel from the river to the sea. And it didn't include Gaza. It didn't include a Palestinian West Bank. It was just all of Israel. And again, I'm just going back to what we were just saying earlier, that this is the plan of these really fanatical uh, Zionists and who never had any intention, you know, after after they were able to get this so-called, you know, Oslo peace process, they had no intention of honoring it. And they've never honored it. And they've just steadily increased settlements and steadily shrunk Gaza and destroyed Gaza since then. And while I appreciate the the outpouring this week from so many people marching, it's just the idea that people were comfortable with that and haven't all the while stood up for the Palestinian people is why we've gotten to this point where Israel just feels it can do do whatever it wants and, and drag the U.S. into what is you know, a World War III scenario. Well, the good news is that no matter how this scenario unfolds, Benjamin Netanyahu is a dead man walking politically. He's gone. The bad news, if you believe the leading Israeli intellectual David Grossman writing in the Financial Times of London this past week, 
that a successor to Netanyahu will be worse, will be further to the right, believe it or not, will be less willing to compromise, believe it or not, which is chilling on the one hand, but on the other hand, it reminds us of all the work we have to do. And with regard to Pacifica, I think that what Pacifica is trying to do is what journalism at its best tries to do, which is provide an adequate first draft of history. That's what Pacifica is doing better than its competition here in North America. Speaking of which, I'm sure you saw the news about how MSNBC has moved from center stage, Ali Velshi and a number of commentators and hosts of Muslim origin, I guess because they felt that they would be too fair and balanced, or to put it another way, that they could not be persuaded to be unfair and unbalanced, which once again underscores and underlines the pivotal role of Pacifica. One more reason why we need a strong and vibrant Pacifica now more than ever I've been speaking to our geopolitical analyst, Professor Joe Horn, and I am looking forward to meeting with Gerald and all of you who are coming out to Montgomery College on October 27th, starting at 6 p.m. It's a beautiful cultural arts center. There's, there's plenty of parking. There's plenty of uh, metro and bus access. And that's right there at the corner of, if folks know, the corner of Georgia Avenue and East West Highway. And Again, plenty of parking. So I look forward to seeing everyone there. All right. So I will talk to you soon, Gerald. And uh, I'll also see you soon. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. And that will do it for today's episode of On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. As you know, you can contact us, work with us, support us, and listen to all of our current and past shows on the website we maintain, onthegroundshow.org. If you like the show, let us know by liking us on Facebook, Twitter, or on patreon.com forward slash onthegroundshow. Of course, X is now Twitter, but it doesn't seem like many on-the-ground listeners are on Twitter, but we have a very big following on Facebook. I've been meaning to thank everyone for taking us over a thousand way over a thousand members on uh, on Facebook and and also there are a lot of people liking the Instagram page which is just my name Esther underscore Averum at Instagram and there are a lot of people who follow the show following me there also you can check out our podcast which is on the ground with Esther Averum and it's on all your podcast platforms Apple, Google, Android, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, all those. So check that out. Our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. Of course, we played Terrorist by Low Key also in this show. I'm Esther Averam. Until next time, keep raising your voice. Peace.
say another thing? I didn't mean to take up all your sweet time. I'll give it right back to you. Well, what did you do? organization of Palestinian and Arab youth struggling for the liberation of our people and land. I want to reaffirm that we are here today out of our own independent conviction that our people will be free. Um, 
as we stand here tonight, um, we might feel sometimes powerless. We might feel that the other side might have the weapons. They might have the propaganda machine. They might have powerful corners in their side. But we have the will. We have our voices. And we have a determination that even if we don't realize the victory in this generation, that the generations that come after us will persist and will stay on the path. So I'm going to ask you that we take a moment of silence in respect of those who have fallen in this, in this unfair fight. So those Muslims, raise your hand and let's read Al-Fatiha. And we'll follow it with a moment of silence for those who do not know the Fatiha or do not prescribe to the Islamic tradition. Liberation to our people's liberation. 
May our martyrs, the people of Gaza, rest in all the peace that they were not spared in life. Our movement is forged by their names. We remember and honor them. We sing their names with every step to liberation. Glory to the martyrs. Thank you. of the solidarity 
the international solidarity that governments around this earth are trying to crush and they are failing. Now, it can be hard to know what to say in a moment like this, when we have just witnessed an atrocity, when we have just witnessed a war crime with the devastation still resting fresh on our hearts. It can be confusing. It can be disorienting. Just when you thought that apartheid Israel could get no lower, they show that they can go to another depth of depravity and inhumanity. And I was thinking about that chant, that passionate chant that we were all doing a moment ago. Someone said, Biden, Biden, where are you? Where are you amongst this destruction? Where are you amongst this bloodshed? Where are you amongst this war on Gaza that is under siege? I'm going to tell you exactly where he is. He's on his way to Israel. And he's about to offer $100 billion to Israel. You know, just the other day, we saw that young boy killed, stabbed to death in Chicago. His mother killed, excuse me, his mother stabbed as well. And did you all see when Joe Biden put out that statement, he didn't even say the boy's name. That's how little, that's how little. Joe Biden cares about the lives of Palestinians. That's how little Joe Biden cares about colonized people. That's how little the U.S. government cares about poor working and oppressed people in Palestine, in the U.S., and all around this earth. But of course, this only makes sense. Because if you really care about the plight of Palestinian people, if your very soul is offended by the crimes of apartheid Israel and you have the courage to say it, you can't be president of the United States. This entire imperialist government can only function with the kind of crime and atrocity that we're seeing before the people of Gaza now and what the people of Palestine have been going through for far too long. I'm telling you, this country is built on that kind of oppression. You know, birds of a settler colonial feather, they flock together. And we know that the U.S. needs Israel in the Middle East as an outpost of U.S. imperialist interests. That's why they're giving $100 billion and why they get $4 billion every year. And when we see these ongoing attacks against our international solidarity movement, we have to ask ourselves why? Especially 
when you have so many people telling us, well, that protest stuff y'all doing is cute. It doesn't mean anything. It won't affect anything. If that's true, then why are the most powerful governments on earth trying so hard to stop the solidarity movement? They're afraid of our solidarity. They're afraid of our movement. They're afraid of our movement because they know that it's fueled by the bravery and the steadfastness of the Palestinian people and their liberation struggle. It reminds me of 2020, June 1st. Some of you may have been out here, and I was too, when Mayor Muriel Bowser, a so-called progressive, the same Muriel Bowser who painted Black Lives Matter on that street right behind us, even though she supports the police every single time they kill someone in this city. She, she enforced a curfew, which then allowed President Donald Trump to violently clear out this whole area with police. There were flashbang grenades. There were rubber bullets. There was pepper spray. The entire of the U.S. imperialist state tried to crush the movement for black lives, the movement against racist police terror militarily, and they failed. That was June 1st, a violent dispersal. June 2nd, this whole area was full once again with people literally holding their middle finger up to the White House in a show of defiance. This is the same tenacity that you and I are showing today, have been showing all across this country and all across this earth. And if we are wise, if we say that we love Palestine, if we say that we want to free Palestine, if we say that we want a Palestine liberated from the shackles of Israeli apartheid, then we will stay right here in the streets where we've been. Now, my friends, I won't pretend that this is an easy moment. What we saw today, we'll never forget. And even though it feels like in this moment, we're in this deep, dark valley. And it can be hard to see where is the light as the destruction, the war, the racism and the death continues to deepen. But I think about an old spiritual that says, hold on just a little while longer. Pray on just a little while longer. Sing on just a little while longer. Fight on just a little while longer. Why? Because everything will be all right. This, this deep, spiritual substance that fuels political struggle is what got us through 200 years of chattel slavery and has carried us through the black liberation struggle right up until this day. And what I'm describing is the very spirit, the very tenacity, the very steadfastness 
that the people of Palestine are showing even now. So it is our duty, it is our solemn duty to stay in the struggle, to stay in the fight, to not let ourselves be cowed by attacks from our enemies. We must keep moving forward. We must keep fighting on until victory is won and Palestine is free. Free, free, Palestine. Free, free, Palestine. Free, free, Palestine. Free, free, Palestine.